morning. How many of you are thankful for that freedom? Because of what he did on the cross, that means that we can approach the throne. We can worship him in any moment. So join me in doing so this morning. The dark tried to hide you and steal you away. And death tried to keep you inside of the grave. The enemy fought you. He tried, but he lost. Because you cannot be stopped. When we cry for freedom, you tore down the walls. The weight of our burdens, you carried it all. Our fears and our failures hang dead on the cross. Cause you cannot be stopped. We say, mover of mountains, breaker of chains, Jesus is trying over the grave. Sing hallelujah, the battle is won, nothing can stand against our God. We stand on your victory, we shout out your praise. Miracle maker, you're mighty to say. You're awesome in power, relentless in love. Cause you cannot be stopped. It's mover of mountains, breaker of chains. Jesus is trying. Over the grave, sing hallelujah. The battle is won, nothing can stand against our God. Let's declare this together. There's nothing that can stop our God. There's nothing that can stop our God. There's nothing that can stop our God. There is nothing. There is nothing. Let that rise out. Come on. There's nothing that can stop our God. There's nothing that can stop our God. There's nothing that can stop our God. There is nothing. There is nothing we sing. There's nothing that can stop our God. No, there is nothing. There's nothing that can stop our God. No, there is nothing. There's nothing that can stop our God. There is nothing. There is nothing. Mover of mountains, breaker of chains. Jesus is trying over the grave. Sing hallelujah. The battle is 
But Father, we lavish you with that praise. You alone are worthy of that praise, Father. And you deserve it all just because of who you are. So God, I believe that you're still wanting people in this room, people joining us online to experience the goodness of who you are. Father, so that they too can find your love because remember, you loved us first. We don't have to earn that love. We don't have to strive for that love. We truly just have to open our hearts and embrace it. And for that, we love you, God. We thank you, God. We are humbled by that, Father. And if there's ever any doubt or any question within us, it's evidence on the cross how much you loved us. For that wasn't just for one person, that is for every single person. Father, you poured out your said blood so that we could live victorious. And Father, who you are in your nature consistently shows us that you leave the 99 to pursue the one. God, to pursue the one that's wandering, to pursue the one that's questioning. Father, you're there, you're present, and I just pray that we would just open our hearts to you. I pray, God, that you continue to move in this community, in this, in this nation, in this world, Father, for us to truly experience the might and the extravagance of your love, God. Let us never forget that, but let us receive it with thanksgiving, with gladness. God, we thank you for that love.
this morning. I thank you that no matter how many times we've run away or no matter how far we've strayed, you've never left or forsaken us. You've always left the 99 to find the one. Jesus, I pray that today and every day you are with us on the journey to know you and be fully known by you. To lay down our guilt and our shame from the past because you don't hold us to that standard anymore. Help us to know that this morning, God, that we are fully redeemed because the blood of the Son set us free. Jesus, thank you so much for your gift of communion and fellowship, and I thank you that you've allowed us to come into this space together this morning and worship your name. I pray that you open our hearts to the message. Help us receive what you want us to know. you are here uh, yeah, you are here today I hope that you're enjoying Labor Day weekend and I hope that you'll join us this evening as we uh, celebrate Labor Day weekend we start a brand new message series today called real relationships and uh, we just believe as belongers as we continue this journey of what knowing what it means to belong that real relationships are really important to belonging that we're called not to do this this, this life thing on our own, not to bootstrap it, not to just do it on our own, but to do it together in relationship. In our, in our social media-driven culture, there's this sense that 
you know, we can do relationships online. And, uh, and I, get a, I get a friend request all the time, and I get a friend request from people I don't know, never seen in my life, on Facebook. It's the funniest thing in the world. And so sometimes I'm thinking, I don't know you, and I don't, and I don't want to connect with them. And then I think, well, they're going to think I'm cocky because I'm not connecting with them. So I end up connecting with them, and I have all these friends of people I don't even know, friends. We're called to do real relationships real face-to-face relationships in the body of Christ, and that's what it means to belong. Speaking of real relationships, have you ever had a real relationship? Throughout this series, I'm going to talk to you a little bit and share some of my real relationships. One of the first real relationships I had with a, a girlfriend was in second grade. And in second grade, I know, I know you're thinking second grade relationships, but I thought at the time it was a real relationship. Her name was Joyce Kyler. And Joyce Kyler, I just, I liked her. I mean, she had, she was everything you wanted a second grade girlfriend to be. She was smart. She was popular. And, and uh, I had this crush on her. And I believe she knew I had the crush on her because every now and then I would just stare at her. You know, like you do sometimes, you're staring at I would just stare at her and she would look and bat her eyes and she would turn around. Well, I had this relationship with her, real relationship with her. And one day the real relationship came to end. Here's, here's how it happened. We, back in the day, I'm going to date myself a little bit here. Back in the day in Maryland, before there was A, B, C, D, and F, there was V, G, G, S, S minus, and U, P. And so one was, V, G was very good, and then there was good, and then there was satisfactory, and then there was satisfactory minus, and then U, P was unsatisfactory. Now, I don't know how U, P ends up being unsatisfactory, but that's the way it was. And so we did a paper, and Joyce Kyler, my smart, real relationship girlfriend, she had a VG. She was smart. That's what I liked about her. And she was good looking, too. But that's another story. So she, was, she had a VG, and I had a UP. And so I, apparently I didn't apply myself on that paper. And, and so the, the story, it, it kind of goes like this. We were all looking at each other's papers, and uh, looking at the grades and different things like that. And I asked Joyce, could I see her paper because I had gotten a UP and she had gotten a VG. And I wanted to know what she had said that got the VG versus what I said that got the UP. And so she gave me her paper. And as I was looking at her paper, someone grabbed it from me and it tore in half. Now, Miss Loshenko, the second grade teacher, assumed because I had gotten a UP and she had gotten a VG that I was mad and tore up her paper. And because Miss Loshenko assumed that, so did Joyce Kyler. And so Miss Loshenko called my parents, who lived right down the hill from the school, who I had a real relationship with. And my mother, unbeknownst to me, decided that she was going to pay me a real relationship visit at the school. And this was back in the day, so uh, this was back in the dark ages. So she came with her strap, and she had a real relationship conversation that included corporal punishment right in front of the school, in front of the other students. So, so I decided that I didn't want to be in a real relationship with Joyce Kyler anymore. <laughs> Maybe you had some real relationships. We're called to have real relationships. And when we think about real relationships and how they come about, 
I don't believe there are any real relationships. I mean, God-centered, God-created, God-enabled relationships unless you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I thought as we start the introduction to this series that we would begin to talk about real relationships from the context of how Jesus modeled real relationships in life. Now, when I talk about real relationships, let me give you some, some different ideas about how these happen. They're, they're, uh, when I talk about real relationships, I'm ta- they can be mentoring relationships. They can be coaching relationships, and they can be relationships of encouragement where people just come alongside you and help guide you on your journey. But there's some difference between the two. Mentoring is this all-in commitment to pour ourselves into the life of another person so that person can become all that God has intended them to be, mentoring. And then there's coaching. Coaching relationship is a targeted effort by which we help a person maximize his or her gifts on areas in which we have certain proficiencies so that they can be the best they can be, coaching. And then there's this idea of accompaniment or encouragement or come alongside someone. One of those relationships is one areas of mentoring or coaching, and it's basically intended to improve the person's self-worth or self-esteem in the process of being either mentored or coach. Gustavo Crocker, a good friend of mine, helped me with those. So this idea of real relationships. Here's a question that I'm going to ask you throughout the series. The question is, who are you investing in, coaching, pouring yourself into, and who's pouring themselves into you, coaching, or investing in you? It's the question of the series. Because I believe if we're going to have real relationships, and if we're going to belong to the body of Christ, that there needs to be this sense where someone is pouring into us and we're pouring into someone else. Our main scripture comes from, um, comes from Acts chapter 3 and 4. And it's, uh, it's the story of Peter and John. The story starts off with Peter and John and Jesus has been crucified and, and Jesus has been crucified, and, and, and they're running, and they're, they've hidden, and, and Jesus resurrects on Sunday, and they, they hear about it, and they know his body isn't there, but, but still they, they're having some issues. And so Jesus shows himself to them, and Jesus tells them as he ascends to wait together in community in the upper room until he sends the friend, the encourager, the comforter, the the rebuker, uh, until he sends the Holy Spirit to, to empower them to do what he wants them to do. And so the day of Pentecost comes, and that place is lit on fire, and all of a sudden all of these frady cats who were unsure of themselves and unsure of their positions after the resurrection, all of a sudden those folks are lit. Those folks are empowered, and those folks are going out to make a difference. The story begins as Peter and John is going into the temple so that they can preach the gospel. And as they're on, on their way into the temple, there's a crippled man there at the temple doors. And, and he begins to ask them for something to help him get food. If you were crippled, if you were blind, if you had some kind of infirmity like that, you weren't allowed in the temple. All you could do is sit outside the gates or sit out some side somewhere and ask for money and hopefully someone would help you. 
And so he asked for money, and Peter and John, Peter speaks up and says, silver or gold have we not, but what we have we give you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And they grabbed him by the hand, and this guy who had ankles that didn't work and couldn't walk, hadn't been able to walk for 40 years. This guy gets up and he starts walking, and everyone in the place is amazed. You can imagine that if you've seen somebody sitting and begging day in and day out, and all of a sudden that person is walking, you want to know what happened. And so the place was ablaze with excitement as this guy was jumping around and hugging Peter and John, and he was just so excited. So it was celebration time in the temple. So Peter sees the opportunity, and he begins to tell them exactly what happened. He begins to say to them, listen, let me introduce you to the name and, and the person in whose name this person can walk. And he begins to tell them about Jesus Christ. But the, the party poopers show up. The people who are, who are supposed to keep things in control, the people who silenced all of those kind of parties showed up and took John and Peter to task and said, what are you doing here? This is not that kind of place. We don't party like that here. This is a calm, cool, collected, quiet kind of a place. Who were those party poopers? The religious leaders showed up. And they begin to take them to task. And they, and they get on their case and they throw them in jail and they threaten them not to speak in Jesus' name again. And they, and they come out with this statement, you, you believe what you want to believe. You do what you want to do, but we can't help speaking in the name. And then here comes the scripture for this morning. Acts 4.13 says this, they couldn't take their eyes off of them. Peter and John standing there so confident so sure of themselves. Their fascination deepened when they realized that these two were laymen with no training in scripture or formal education. They recognized them as companions of Jesus. Another, another version says, they knew they had been with Jesus. I love that. They had been with Jesus, companions to Jesus. They, they were not just companions. They had walked with him. They had walked in the dust of the rabbi. They were followers and disciples and mentees and, and roommates marked by a real relationship with the one who makes real relationships possible. I want them, someone to say about me as I go through the day, as I go through my life, man, this guy has been with Jesus. This young lady has been with Jesus. They, they, got, they, they have Jesus all over him. They exude Jesus. Jesus just pours out of their pores. These disciples, they were ordinary people, fishermen and tax collectors, Yet they did some extraordinary things once Jesus had ascended and the Holy Spirit came. The religious leaders who were in that council were surprised by their boldness, were surprised that despite the fact that they had no special training, you got to understand what's, what's happening here. They, they've been with a the rabbi. A rabbi has called them, 
but they didn't grow up. I mean, they had to learn the Torah and different things like that, but they didn't grow up. They weren't a part of the religious elite. Because the people who were part of the religious elite, they would get connected to a rabbi early in life, and they would just walk with that rabbi. They came as what we call uh, people starting in ministry later in life. They would be what we call bivocational because they had their vocation. They were tax electors. They were fishermen. They were called later in life. So they didn't have the training that someone would have had with a rabbi if they started very early in age. What the council didn't realize is they didn't have anything to do with their training. It was because they had hung out with Jesus. Jesus had come and chosen them. He didn't, they didn't go and choose Jesus. Jesus chose them. John 15 says it like this. You didn't choose me. Remember, I chose you and put you in the world to bear fruit, fruit that won't spoil. As fruit bearers, whatever you ask the Father in relation to me, he gives you. They didn't choose him, but they responded to his invitation. Hopefully you're here today because Jesus chose you. We have something in theology circles that we say this, that God's grace goes before. God's grace is God's unmerited favor. Do you realize that you didn't get here in this Christian thing by yourself? That God's grace went before you? That God, the, that God was wooing you and encouraging you and drawing you to himself before you even knew who he was? That someone was praying for you, that someone was looking out for you, that God was bringing you and drawing you to himself. So we're all in the position of him choosing us and us responding to his invitation. Mark, Matthew 4, 18, 22 tells us how Jesus called Peter and his brother Andrew and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John. He called them to be his followers and then he mentored them. Passing along, Jesus saw a man at work collecting taxes. His name was Matthew. Jesus said, come along with me. Matthew stood up and followed him. If you've been around Salem Fields, you've heard me talk about what it means to belong and us doing community and how important community is. I, I don't want you just to attend Salem Fields Community Church. I want you to belong. I want you to involved in real relationships, transformational relationships that change you and change the people around you. If we're going to talk about real relationships, we have to talk about the person who makes real relationships possible, Jesus. So I thought as we started this introductory series off, we will begin to look at the methods that Jesus used as he was mentoring, coaching, and pouring his life into people. So let me share 10 of those methods that he used. The number one thing that he did, which is the most important, is Jesus lived out an unbroken relationship of intimate fellowship with God. Jesus lived out this unbroken, intimate relationship with God. In other words, his vertical relationship was the most important relationship in life. And here's the deal. If we're going to do real relationships, horizontal our vertical relationship has to be intact. When we talk about marriage, we always talk about the fact that, uh, that our vertical relationship will make our horizontal relationships work. And so our vertical relationship is the most important relationship we have. 
You might love your wife, your husband to death. You might, you might be in love with that fiancé or, or, or that boyfriend or that girlfriend. But here's the reality. Unless your relationship with Jesus, your vertical relationship is in line and it's up to date, then all the horizontal relationships aren't going to really work out. And so Jesus demonstrated this. He demonstrated this in prayer. He would get along. He would walk away from his disciples. He didn't let his schedule. He didn't let a whole bunch of people keep him from that relationship. I think sometimes in life, we can be doing really good stuff. And we can decide that that really good stuff trumps the relationship with the Father. And the, and, and the reality is that is not true. All the good stuff in the world we can do without being connected to the Father, it, it, it just does not work out for us. It might work out for the people that we're ministering to, but when we ministry, when we do ministry out of emptiness instead of out of the fullness of God, that ministry has a way of morphing and becoming about us and the pat that we get on our back instead of the glory that God is getting. Jesus throughout his ministry maintained this habit of praying to the Father, this habit of communicating with the Father, even in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he's getting ready to kind of give his life for the world, when he's getting ready to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, even there, he's got this, his, this intimate prayer to the Father. Maybe you remember it. Lord, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. But not your will, not my will, but your will be done. Even there, he, he models for his followers, the people he's connecting and coaching. He models to them what it means to have an intimate, unwavering relationship with God the Father. And, and, and I believe that them, him, them seeing him get away and them seeing him going, going to the mountains, them seeing him with this intimate relationship with the Father impacted them. Number two, Jesus developed a personal relationship with his followers that was marked by accessibility, availability, and simplicity. Jesus was relational, and as he coached and mentored his disciples, they were always together. They interacted all the time. They rubbed shoulders him. There were no barriers between them, no communication gaps, no protocols. In other words, Jesus was able to talk with them, and they were together. He taught them from ordinary events that happened either by initiating discussions or asking questions you got to understand how different this was. Because back in that day, a rabbi would call these people to gather to them himself, and he would, he would teach them, but they, he was on this level, and they were on that level. And a rabbi didn't have this thing where they had this kind of relationship where they were tight and they were close, and this was very unusual. From Mark 3, 14, we see that the first reason Jesus called disciples, they, they were called disciples, was that they should be with him. Disciples were very close to Jesus. And the relationship was so intimate that Peter, after Jesus had said, you know what? It's time for me to go and suffer. It's time for me to go the way of the cross. Peter pulled him aside and rebuked him. That wouldn't happen. Not with a rabbi and a student. 
You, didn't, you weren't on the same level of the rabbi. You didn't have the right to go and rebuke him. But so close was their relationship that Peter could call him aside and rebuke him. They were so close that when Judas got ready to betray him, he could come up and give him a kiss, a betrayal's kiss. That's how close they were. So Jesus... Jesus developed a personal relationship that was marked by accessibility, availability, and simplicity. Number three, Jesus led by example. He modeled before he taught. Have you heard anyone say, do as I do, do as I say, not as I do? Or, or, or you, you hear that all the time. You know, we, we talk about athletes or celebrities or superstars, and they get in trouble, and they say, well, I'm not, you don't need to follow me. You know, you don't need to do what I do. In the kingdom of God, we should be able to say to people like Paul said to him, follow me as I follow Jesus. When I first read that in the Bible, I thought, man, what a cocky guy. What a cocky guy. We need to follow you as you follow Jesus. But then you hear Paul says, I've counted everything as garbage compared to, to following Christ and knowing him in his fullness. We should be able to say to others, follow me as I follow Christ. And and Jesus modeled and then taught out of his modeling. Acts 1.1 says, Dear Theopolis, in this first volume of this book, I wrote on everything that Jesus began to do and teach. He taught prayer, he taught love, he taught forgiveness, he taught leadership by just demonstrating each to each in his own life. He wasn't just teaching theory. He wasn't just teaching theory, he was actually practicing. So, so when, he, when he, he would pray so much that the disciples' family came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. I mean, when he got ready to, to teach about servanthood, he took off his outer robe. This is the rabbi. This is a God who created everything. This is a God who spoke and everything came into being. He took off his robe. He took on the very nature of a slave and he began to wash their feet. You got to understand how this happens. The slave in the house washed the feet, not the rabbi, not the God in charge. He begins to wash their feet. And then he says to them, as I have done for you, you do for others. It's just amazing the way he just began to model and then taught out of his modeling. Number four, he loved them. Here's a passage from what I just talked about. Just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come to leave the world, to go to the Father, and having loved his companions, his mentees, his, the folks he's coaching, he continued to love them right to the end. Jesus again expressed his love for his disciples in John 15, 9. I've loved you the way the Father has loved me. It's because of this same love that after the resurrection, Peter, Jesus went looking for Peter. Remember Peter? Peter, the one who puts in his, his foot in his mouth. Peter, the one who speaks before he thinks. That Peter who said, you know what, if all the Frady cats run off, if all the Frady cats do their own thing, I got you, Jesus. I got your back. I'm your boy. I'm going to be here. 
And Jesus said, Peter, Peter, stop it. Before the rooster crows once, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter was so sure. And then he did exactly as Jesus said. But Jesus didn't throw him away. With that kind of betrayal, you think sometimes we just throw people away. That person hasn't been faithful. That person didn't have my back. That person lied. Jesus didn't throw him away because in his resurrected body, he says to the women, go tell the disciples and Peter. Later on, John records that he, he put the breakfast together and invited Peter to breakfast and began to restore Peter because he loved him. Can I say to you, that's the same God who's called us. That's the same God who loves you no matter what you've done, no matter how you failed him. You know, I've been in the place of saying, God, if everybody else runs, I have your back. And when the time of testing came, I've been in the situation where I haven't had his God's back, but he didn't throw me away. He continues to love me, to call me. He does the same for you wherever you are this morning. He's a God who does not throw you away because he loves you. Real relationships are serious work. <laughs> They're serious, serious work. They must be selflessness, selflessness in real relationships. You got to love to see others succeed. Jesus loved the disciples and poured himself into them. Number five, Jesus focused on developing the potential rather than focusing on their weaknesses. You know, this is the, all the rage now in psychology. Focus on your strengths. Focus on your strengths. But Jesus was saying this way before the psychologists got a, a hold of it. Because sometimes we have the tendency to focus on our, our weaknesses, trying to make them stronger. Instead of focusing on our strengths, trying to do them better, Jesus believed in them and focused and developed their potential. He saw what they could become, not just who they were, and he invited them to come with him. Remember, Jesus comes on the scene and he sees Peter for who he can be. Way before Peter gets empowered with the Holy Spirit, way before the day of Pentecost, way before the denials, way before him saying, this is never going to happen to you, Jesus calls him and changes his name from Simon to Peter. Listen to what it says. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard Jesus witness and followed Jesus the first thing he did was, after finding where Jesus lived was to find his own brother Simon, telling him, we found the Messiah, that is the Christ. He immediately led him to Jesus, and Jesus took one look up and said, you're John's son, Simon. From now on, your name is Cephas, or Peter, which means rock. And you remember later on, Jesus said to him, Upon his confession, when he asked, who do people say that I am? And then he asked, who do you say I am? And Peter says, I believe you're, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And he said, Peter, Peter, you were not revealed that by man, but by my father in heaven. And it's on this rock, this confession that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he's Messiah, that I will build my church and the gates of hell will never prevail against it. Peter. Jesus sees who you are. He sees past all the stuff. 
and he's called you by name. He sees what you can be in spite of all the stuff you've gone through. See, Jesus, Jesus could see, and, and, and he, he was the person that just spoke it and spoke into what people could be. At that time, Peter didn't look anything like a rock. He didn't look anything like a stone. But by the time that Jesus was finished with him, by the time the mentoring and the coaching and the day of Pentecost came, he was the rock. Because on the, on the day of Pentecost, he got up and he preached the first Christian message. And 3,000 people were added to the church that day. On this rock, I will build my church. That's why they couldn't take their eyes off of him. That's why they kept on thinking, how can these people be so assured? How could they be so confident? Number six, Jesus empowered them by giving them opportunities to practice what they had learned. This wasn't a Jesus-only show. He kept on building in them and coaching them and mentoring them and pouring into them. And then he sent them out to do the work. According to Luke 9, he called his 12 disciples together and gave them the power and authority over demons and to cure disease. Jesus empowered them. They were already ministering to people under Jesus' leadership. He gave them the ability to put into practice what they had been learning Number seven, Jesus displayed humility and transparency and authenticity in their relationship. He was real. There was no cunning. There was no fakeness. There was no manipulation. He made himself vulnerable to them. He showed them his humanity. They saw him being tired. Remember, he's asleep in the boat. He's had a long day. He's asleep. They saw him hungry. They, they saw him when he was displeased from, uh, for, with them because they had been pushing kids away. And he said, no, 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 let the kids come to me. They saw him when he pulled some twigs together, some, some, some switches together, as my mom would say back in the day, and began to drive people out of the temple because they were making his house of worship, a den of thieves. They saw it all. They saw him weak publicly. Peter and the two sons of Zebedee saw him being sorrowful and in deep distress. Hebrews says like this, we don't have a priest who's out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness, the testing, experienced it all but the sin. See, Jesus didn't wear a mask. He was real. And he was putting together real relationships. Jesus prayed for them again and again. Jesus is praying for them. He prays for Peter. When, when Peter says, I'm going to do this, I got your back, God, he prays that Peter will not fall. He, he prays that Peter's faith would not fail. And as he's wrapping up his ministry in John 17, he prays this longest prayer that's recorded that he ever prayed. And in that prayer, he prays for his disciples. He prays for what will happen after his, he dies. He, he prays for disciples to come, you and I. Way back there, he was praying for you and I who would become his disciples. Jesus developed a friendship with them. 
the relationship between Jesus and his disciples developed so intimately that, that he began to call them friends. John 15 says it like this, this is the very best way to love. Put your life on the line for your friends. You are my friends when you do the things I've commanded you. I'm no longer calling you servants because servants don't understand what their master is thinking and planning. No, I've named you friend because I've let you in on everything I heard from the Father Matthew 16 says it this way, then Jesus made clear to his disciples that it was now necessary for him to go to Jerusalem to submit to an ordeal of suffering at the hands of a religious leader to be killed and then on the third day be raised alive. They were friends. Whether they showed up in the tough times or not, whether they were coming with a betrayal's kiss, even when Judas is coming, he calls him friend. And last but not least, Jesus created in them a passion to do for others what he had done for them. See, it was just not enough for, for them to receive coaching and mentoring and training and receive all that Jesus did as he come and came alongside them and poured into them and was, and was transparent and, and humble before them. It wasn't just enough for, for them to see Jesus become their friend and go out his way to serve them and to love them and to pray for them. He created a passion in them to do for others what he had done for them. You know, this, this, this idea where we just, we just receive all of this good stuff from the Lord and our vertical relationship with him, but it just stops there. When that happens, we become a stagnant pool. You ever drank water from a stagnant pool? Have you ever been around a stagnant pool? Usually fish can't live in it. It, it, just, it, just, it just usually smells and we can become like that when it's not flowing through us. And so Jesus pours himself into us. He, he fills us with his Holy Spirit. He makes it possible for us to do what we cannot do on our own so that we can be part of him taking that which he's done for us and passing it on to someone else. You know, sometimes we think, my goodness gracious, reaching people are so difficult. Sharing this hope that is part of our mission with anyone everywhere is so difficult. No, 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 no. If you are and I are filled with the Spirit, if we have a vertical relationship that's intimate, that's ongoing, and then what we do is we just live life. We just live life. And people see us living life, and they see Jesus coming out of us and oozing out of us. And then we just build relationships. And it's in that relationship that something begins to happen. See, we're called. We're chosen. We're loved despite our failures. We're prayed for. We become the friend, the friend of Jesus, so that he might work through us so that other people will know. And so the question is always this. Who are you mentoring, encouraging, coaching? And who's coaching, mentoring, and encouraging you? 
See, I believe that's how we do real relationships in the body of Christ. That's how we come together in community. You weren't meant to do this on your own. We're meant to do it together. In my own life, I've had these relationships. Dave Bowen, the pastor who knocked on my door one day and invited me to vacation Bible school, that pastor, I'm one of his, one of his, he calls his son pastors. A little church of 75 people and eight pastors came out of that church who are ministering all over the world. And I'm one of his son pastors, and he's still pouring into me. He sent me just a letter the other day, an email the other day of encouragement, where he said, James, you know what? You might find something in this. And the Sam Vassals, and I have many people just coaching me, mentoring me, encouraging me. And then my job is to do that for other people. So the Jason Blakes of the world, the Luke Sheetses of the world, the guys that I've just been pouring into ever since we, they were in college, been 20, 20, 30 years now, just pouring into them and letting what, what God does through me flow through me into someone else. Jesus told them to go out and train everyone you meet far and near in the way of life, marking them by baptism in a threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in the practice of all I commanded you, and I will be with you as you do this day after day after day. See, that great command is not some kind of program that we put together. It's not a Roman road of salvation. It's not an A, B, C, ask, believe, and confess. It's having an intimate, organic relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ in such a way that you and I are filled to overflowing. And as we live our lives, as we go about our everyday lives, we can begin to be authentic in front of people. We begin to teach people and train people with our lives. We begin to model what we teach. He said, well, James, you need to be a pastor to do that. That's your job. I said, no, no, it isn't. Because they, remember, they were lay people who had obviously been with Jesus. It's my prayer that as people who are with Jesus, who have this vertical relationship, that somehow you're empowered by the Holy Spirit in such a way that as you live your life, you will be walking in the dust of the rabbi. And you will be so transformed that people's lives around you will be different because they come in contact with you on a daily basis. Here's the deal. They didn't always get it right. I don't always get it right. You won't always get it right. But here's the deal. God, the Holy Spirit, is in, at work in us if we allow him to be transforming us, changing us, so that we become more and more like him every day. And then people begin to scratch their head and say, man, there's something different about her. There's something different about him.
And you know what happens? They begin to ask you the question, what's going on with you? And you can be able to say, I have been walking in the dust of the rabbi. Would you pray with me today? Father God, I thank you that you call us into relationship. You called us. We didn't call you. You make it possible. We didn't make it possible. All we do is respond to your call. And so, Father, this morning, I, I suspect that there's some people listening to me, whether they're in the auditorium or online, who maybe haven't responded to your call. You're calling. You're always calling. And Father, maybe this morning, that first step is just to respond to your call, to have that vertical, that organic, intimate, vertical relationship that becomes the most important relationship in our lives. Maybe that's the first step today. Father, you, you're, you're calling. Your Holy Spirit is whispering. And Father, what, what we need to do is take you up on your invitation. And so, Father, I pray this morning some people would take you up on the invitation to be in relationship with you, to have their lives transformed from the inside out, to have their sins washed away and, and washed away and to see a forgetfulness, to be remembered no more, and to begin this organic relationship where they become your friend And you become their Lord and their Savior. There's some folks here today who've been on the journey for a little while. And maybe they thought they could bootstrap this on their own. And they realized this morning that we can't do this on our own. We're, we're called to do it together in community. That we need each other. And maybe today there will be a decision that's made that I'm going to do this in community. I'm going to quit kind of depending on myself, and, and I'm going to get together with some brothers and sisters in Christ, and I'm going to do life together. Maybe it's a life group. Maybe it's discipleship. You just, you just need to be discipled. Father, I pray that you would give insight to what needs to happen for us to go to the next level in real relationships. Father, I thank you for what you're doing in these days. Help us not to be satisfied in living life, the Christian life on our own, but help us, Father, be passionate about doing life together with real relationships made possible by a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. In your name I pray, amen. Let me give you some homework. Take out your phones for a second. Your phones, whatever you got to write on your notes. I want you to write this down because this is going to be the question for the whole series. Here's the question. Who is coaching, mentoring, or pouring into your life? That's the first question. And the second question is this. Whose life are you mentoring, coaching, and pouring into? Who are you invested in and who is investing in you? That's an important question because we weren't meant to do this alone. We were meant to do it together. God bless you. Love you guys. See you tonight. Well, that was a good word on what it takes to, uh, to build solid and authentic relationships, and we do hope that you begin putting those things into practice. And one way you can do that is tonight. We have an opportunity with the community fireworks celebration that's coming uh, to continue or a relationship you already have or make, meet some new friends, start a new relationship. I would love for you and your family to come be part of that and uh, obviously invite 
invite a friend or neighbor to do that, to come and join as well. It's wide open to the community and just love for you to be part of that. Uh, there's going to be all kinds of things going on, um, blow-up games, a uh, little train for the kids. There'll be cornhole, a live band be, be performing at different times throughout the night. Uh, it starts at 4.30, but you don't have to come at that time. You can come later on in the evening if you want. Obviously, the fireworks will start once the sun goes down. So if you want to come at 7, 7.30, we'd love to have you. Uh, and we hope you come experience that with us. Uh, over the last two weeks, two or three weeks, we've been trying to introduce you to a couple things to maybe make things a little more efficient for you. Uh, and that is, one, is through our giving. Uh, many of you have been very faithful through this time, the season we've been going through. Uh, you've been faithful in supporting what God's doing here. And you can continue to use the, the, the giving kiosks that are out in the lobby if you choose. Uh, but one way that we've introduced the last couple of weeks is texting SFGIVE to 94000. Uh, you just on your phone, and that will take you to our online giving platform, and you can do that if that's more efficient for you. The other one that we've been talking about is how do you connect with us. So whether you're a first-time guest or this is your 10th time here, uh, we really would like to just connect with you to stay in touch so you know what's going on here, and we know what's going on with your life. And one way you do that is SF Connect. If you text SF Connect to 94000, uh, all that's going to ask you for is three easy things, your name, your phone number, and your email. And I promise you we won't bombard you with all kinds of information. Uh, in fact, you can tell us exactly what you want or what you don't want. And uh, it also opens up the door for you to com communicate back with us. So if you have questions or things you need from us, we would love to answer those things and meet those needs, okay? So again, SF Give to 94,000 or SF Connect to 94,000. Well, as we leave here and we go out and uh, you exp hopefully experience the fireworks tonight or a picnic tomorrow or go to work, whatever you're going to do this coming week, uh, just keep in mind that Jesus did choose you. And to me, that changes everything because that means he has confidence in you. He believes in you. So we just encourage you to go today with confidence and go reflect him on all that you do. Thank you for being here. God bless you.